Good morning, River Oaks. My name is Art Cash. I'm excited to talk to you today about Ephesians 5, 25 through 30. So in this passage, we're going to be looking at what Scripture has to say about husbands loving their wives, how they should do it. So this morning, as as we consider this passage, I I know that, that there are husbands here, wives here, Marriages here that, that are struggling. Husbands that are thinking, you can talk to me about loving like Jesus. I would just settle at this point for, for loving like it was when we were dating. Help me here. Maybe you're not married. And we come to this section of Scripture and think, man, this, this really doesn't apply to me. I want to give you three reasons to listen if you're not married. One, if you're a believer, you are the bride of Christ. You belong to him. So I'm desperate for you to hear this morning his love for you. Two, if you've not been given the the gift of singleness and celibacy that, that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 7, you may one day marry. So this passage absolutely applies to you. So I want you to listen. Three, you, you have brothers and sisters in Christ who are married who need you. They need you to hear this. They need you to understand this passage so you can encourage them and you can pray for them. So if we're not careful, we come to a, a passage like this and it, it ends up in that category pile of things I will never get to do. Okay, Whatever that may look like for you. I'm, I'm never going to be a part of colonizing Mars. I'm pretty sure of that. Okay, I'm never going to be in a movie with Patrick Swayze. Pretty sure of that. Not climbing Mount Everest. Things that will not happen. If we're not careful with this passage, we can end up putting it into that pile of things that seem out of reach. If we do that, we severely underestimate what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If we do that, we undercut what it means to be a Christian. Brothers and sisters, to be a Christian means that you have hope. To be filled with the Spirit means that change can happen in this life. And you are guaranteed the certainty of it in the next. So I I think personal testimony can be a little tricky sometimes in a sermon. Testimonies can sometimes make the teacher out to be the hero. Maybe they can sensationalize the sin over repentance. However, there are times when it just makes sense to be personal. When a testimony is relevant and it puts the focus on Christ, then it makes sense to share no matter how painful or embarrassing. So I want you to know, brothers and sisters, I spent the first 30 years of my life going to church as an unbeliever. That includes the first eight years of my marriage. Sometimes I make jokes about that, hashtag first eight years, and I kind of laugh about it. Something else that you'll learn about me is I tend to make jokes and laugh about things when I'm ashamed, when I'm embarrassed. There were good times in those first years. We grew, we, we laughed, we had fun. But what I remember most vividly is my pervasive sense of selfishness. 
my sense of entitlement in our marriage. I believe that our marriage was, was a means to my happiness. I wanted my own way, and when I didn't get it, I took it out on Heather, either passively or aggressively. And that came out in many ways. Self-destructive behavior. It came out in yelling, in cursing, in anger, in apathy, resentment. Behind each one of those words, I want you to know that loaded were action after action after action that hurt my wife. There was no spiritual leadership in the love that I showed. It was self-referenced. It was, it was self-serving. So again, I share that with you to not say, look how far we've come. That's not it by no means. That's, that's not it. I share it with you so that for every positive example that we talk about in this passage, every positive example that I give to you, you will know that there was a background of years of anger and apathy and sinful dysfunction. I want you to know it. I share a bit of our life so you can look at this passage with the real hope that it deserves because God's word is actually true. It's true. I share this out of an ironclad certainty that the gospel of Jesus Christ saves sinners and the Holy Spirit changes believers. That's why I tell you this this morning. The same word and the same spirit that helped Heather and I, it, it provides the way forward in your marriage at this very moment. No matter what it's looked like up to this point, whether it's been mostly marked with sorrow or joy or anywhere in between. So let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help, help us in, in your word. Spirit, bring your, your clarity and your power uh, to bear in this passage. Father, we, we come to your word preached and your word taught, expecting to be confronted, convicted, and, and changed. Father, help, help me. You, you know my heart for the husbands in, in this body is, is to not be hammered, but to actually see the hope that is available in your gospel and your Holy Spirit. Please help us see your word. Help me be clear. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want us to, to read our passage, Ephesians 5. We'll start in 25 and go through 33. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. 
However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So we'll see the main idea from this passage today is Jesus loves the church. Husbands love your wives for God's glory and for her good. We'll see the the type of love in, in Scripture here, Christ's love for the church. We'll see that it's sacrificial. We'll see that it has a purpose in, in sanctification, and we'll see that it's ongoing in the way that it's specific. So here we are, in end of Ephesians 5, right? It's, it's critical that we see where we are in this passage. I think there's a reason that we have this, this three groups of people here that are being described right between 518 and 610. So in 5.18, we get this command, be filled with the Spirit. In 6.10, we see the beginning of Paul discussing spiritual warfare. Right in between, we've got wives and husbands, children and parents, and then slaves and masters. I think there's a reason for that. Right in between, be filled with the Spirit and spiritual warfare, because this is where the battle will take place, in your home at your workplace, with your spouse, with your children, with your boss. Here's where we'll see it. Here's where we we will live in light of being filled by the Spirit or we give ground to the enemy. So Paul is saying, prepare for battle. Here's where the battle will be fought in these places with the people that we know and love. Paul's preparing us here. By now we've been in Ephesians long enough to see and to know. I think Keith mentioned it during uh, our worship time. Three chapters of truth and indicatives preparing us for commands and imperatives. We even see it in this passage, okay? As Jesus loved the church, as Christ loved the church. Husbands, if you don't hear anything else I say today, please hear this. Don't hear that just as an impossible example, as Christ loved the church, is the truth. It's the indicative that gives you the power to actually love your wife like Jesus loves the church. It's not just an expectation. It's a hope-filled promise. So if we're going to talk about, about love, I, I, love's all over this passage. Five times in, in five verses. Let's, let's work from the same definition. Okay, Here, here's what I'd like to share with you about love. I believe this is a biblical definition from Tripp. Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. Love that definition because it's a reflection of the gospel. It's a reflection of the way that we are loved by Jesus I'm going to set out for you in in each one of these. I want you to see the counterfeit message that the world offers and the truthful message that Scripture offers. So the command is is for husbands to love. But I want to encourage you, this this is applicable for husbands and wives. But husbands, I'm I'm talking to you because the command is, is to you here. So the sacrificial love, 525. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This love is sacrificial. You can see it up in 5.2, Ephesians 5, chapter 2. 
and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The world says selfish love. Get what you can out of it. It's contingent on how the other party treats you. It's an exchange of of goods and services. I will love if you. The Bible says sacrifice. The Bible says selfless. Why did Christ lay down his life in this way? I want you to flip back to Ephesians 1.7. I want you to, to see this with me. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the rich riches of his grace. He laid down his life, church, to redeem you. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice. Redeem means to purchase, to buy back. I want you to, to, to think back to the, the, the accounts that you learned in Genesis. Go all the way back to Genesis 29, okay? Biblical times, you you had a bride price. Sometimes it was paid from the groom to the family of the bride to to purchase her. So if you remember all the way back in Genesis 29, we had Jacob. And how many years did Jacob work for his his wife? Anybody remember? 14. 14 because he was deceived by Laban. Sinful Laban, manipulating Laban. Sneaky, all right? Gives gives Leah instead of Rachel. He ends up working 14 more years because of Laban's deception. 14 years seems like a long time. But church, due due to our sin and deception, the price was so much higher for Jesus Christ to purchase his bride. The irony of the only perfect groom paying the highest bride price in history in order to redeem his bride to himself. That's true love. That's sacrificial love. Now, I know Mitchell's going to talk about the the Trinity next week, but I I can't help myself. We're going to talk about it for a minute, okay? Because I want you to think about the Father's love here, too. The Father sends his Son, the the perfect groom, to purchase, to, to pay the bride price, to redeem the church the very people who will betray him and kill him. That is love. The father's love, the love of the groom, it is sacrificial love. Husbands, we we need to comprehend this love. The, The higher view that we have of the love that Jesus Christ has for the church the higher the view of your love for your wife. We need to see it. Look how selfless this love is. Jesus gave up his life in order to share his Father with us, in order to share the Holy Spirit with us, in order to share everything he has with us. We're joint heirs. He inherits us. We inherit him. When we are rooted in this sacrificial, generous love, we can begin to see what it means 
to love our wives in a sacrificial way. Not perfectly, but with the hope and assurance that Jesus will empower us to do what he commands. Church, we're inundated with with selfishness, with with self, with, with radical autonomy. You do you. It's all about you. You're just crushed by it in, in entertainment, in culture. Selfishness is the enemy of the type of love that we're talking about here. So husbands, I want you to take a moment to consider ways in which you currently live selfishly rather than love sacrificially. I want you to think about that. How do you live selfishly rather than love sacrificially? So here's how growth takes place as a Christian. Are you ready for this? All right. I don't, whether it's a sermon, whether it's, it's camp, whether it's showing up to CQ, growth group, a, a, a Bible study, here's how growth takes place as a Christian. The Holy Spirit reveals sin. You confess the sin. You repent. You preach the gospel to yourself. And you grow in obedience by putting off the sin and putting on Christ. That's it. Every single time. Now, let me, let's talk about what that looks like step by step. Husbands, I, I want you to try this, okay? I want... Because again, I, I, I want you to, to be in, in the habit or the pattern of coming coming to hear the word and expecting to be confronted and, and changed by it. So husbands, I'd like for you to pick one selfish pattern that you will put to death for the sake of your wife. Now, I'm not talking about the, the annoying habits, right? The kind of like the stuff you got away with when you were single, kind of side swiping your nose with your thumb. That's really actually picking your nose. You should stop, Okay. <laughs> I'm not talking about leaving the toilet lit up. I'm not talking about drinking milk out of the milk jug. All of those are annoying habits that probably need to be put to death as well. But I, I want you thinking about a, a selfish, sinful habit. And I want you to pick just one. The time you spend each night staring at your phone instead of engaging your wife. You can tell which one convicts me. <laughs> the time that you spend each night staring at your phone instead of engaging your wife. The times that, that, that she changes all the diapers. She puts the kids to bed every single night. She cooks and she cleans because you've had a hard day at work. Maybe it's, it's the fact that if there are any spiritual conversations, any discipleship conversations happening at all in the home, you're the one driving it instead of your husband. Maybe I didn't, I didn't hit yours. Maybe I didn't cover yours, but I'm asking you to pick one. One sinful pattern. Take a minute and pray. Write it down. I was waiting for you to write it down. I want you to pick one and write it down. I want you to confess that sin to the Lord and repent. I want you to confess it to your wife and repent. I want you to share it with your growth group for encouragement, for prayer, for accountability. And then I want you to preach and pray the gospel to yourself repeatedly. 
Now, that's something that, that you hear, preach the gospel to myself. What do you mean? This is what I mean. Jesus, you gave up your life to redeem me. You paid for my sin. You forgive my sin of selfishness. Holy Spirit, you're in me to help me see my sin and turn away from it and please you. Jesus, since you laid down your life for me, I am free to love my wife by laying down this small thing for her sake, even if she doesn't notice, even when I don't feel like it, because it glorifies you, Jesus. Amen. That's what it looks like to preach the gospel to yourself when you're trying to bring about change for the sake of your marriage, the sake of your wife, and to glorify Jesus Christ. Part of the upside-down nature of the gospel is that the perfect groom paid the ultimate bride price for an ugly bride. According to Ephesians 2, this bride was not just ugly but dead. According to Romans 5, this, this, this bride was, was weak. She was ungodly. She was still a sinner. And he gave himself up for her in her filth. She had not prettied herself up. She had not gotten ready for the wedding. She was gross. She was dead. And Jesus said, mine, I want you. Why did he do it? Because he gets the glory. The love of Christ is a transforming love. His love sets her apart. It makes her holy. His love not only makes her alive, his love makes her beautiful. I want you to see this in Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. Why did Christ give himself up for the church? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present this church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Husbands, love your wives for the glory of God. Love her for reasons greater than what you get in return. The world says your marriage should make you happy. Scripture says marriage should make you holy. You've heard this before. Here's the deal. It's not either or. It's not either or. That's, it's a false dichotomy. In the wisdom of Scripture and the kindness of God, as you seek one another's holiness, your actions will lead to mutual happiness. Holiness means becoming more like Christ. Who wouldn't be happier if their spouse was growing in love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? That sounds holy and happy. So why did Christ lay down his life for the church? To sanctify her. To set her apart. This is a particular, specific love. The church belongs to him. This isn't a, a general love. This is personal for the church. Jesus sanctified you to himself. So your union with him is secure forever. How did he do it? We see in verse 26, he cleansed the church by the washing of water with the word. 
this cleanse, it's, it's not about baptism. It's about being cleansed and purified from the stain of sin. We see this idea in Titus 3, 5. We see it in 1 Corinthians 6, 11. There Paul is going down the list of everybody who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. How? When you heard the purifying word of the truth, the gospel. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So I don't want you to miss this, church. Christ laid down his life in order to claim you and make you his own. He did that knowing full well who you are. I want you to think of the, the most vile thing that you have ever done or has been done to you. The, the most wretched actions that you have taken or that have been taken against you. The thing that you, you look at and, and, and you think that stain and that stench still follows you around to this day. If you are a believer, Jesus has taken that stain and he has washed it away, cleansing you with his blood. He took that stain onto himself. He became sin for you so that you might become his righteousness. He's the one who clothes you in your wedding gown. This was applied to you when you heard the word of truth and you responded in faith. We have a groom who loves us, makes us his own, and is making us new. So husbands, you might be thinking, okay, this, all right, a lot of, there's a lot happening here. Uh, sanctify her, cleanse her, washing of the water with the word. What does that look like in, in marriage? Well, here's my question for you. Do you ensure the truths of the word, and the power of the gospel are present in your marriage. That's a direct application from this. Here's how you know. Is the advice and counsel you give your wife, is it more shaped by your own opinions and your own preferences, or is it shaped by the word? That's a tough one. I, I love my opinions. I, I'm, I'm fond of my opinions. I like, I like to share them. But are, are they shaped by the word? Am I, am I willing to put aside my opinion and my preference to encourage and counsel my wife with the truth of the word and the power of the gospel? Because face it, face it, brothers, your wife's heart and mind, they're being washed by something all the time. It is our. Maybe it's bathed in the lie of, of comparing herself to other women. Perhaps... There's this endless soaking in their failures. As, as a mom, they, they can only see all the things that they don't get to and have done poorly, and it's just washing over them. That lie over and over and over. I am my failures as a mom. Maybe she's stewing in her own sin. Maybe worst of all, and this, I want you to consider this, husbands, maybe worst of all, she's being washed by your anger or your apathy. Maybe it doesn't always look obvious. Maybe it's more biting sarcasm. Maybe it's, it's that place you, you go to humor to get your point across, but it's so critical 
and it's death by a thousand cuts. I, I, husbands, here we are in, in, in the Word. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you perspective. Step back. Are you more often staining your wife with your sin or helping cleanse her of her own? That is sanctifying love. The difference. How do you know? Because, man, I, I can lie to myself. I can minimize. I can rationalize. How do we know? I want you to think of the difference in how you treat your wife in public versus private. Are there ways that you act or react towards her that you would be embarrassed for others to hear? Please hear me. With that. I don't, I don't want to hammer you. I, I want there to be hope, but I want you to, I want you to examine your heart. Because what, what you say and do or don't say and don't do in the privacy of your home, husbands, that's what's in your heart. And what's in your heart is washing out over your wife. So which is it? If you're a believer and you're hearing this sermon, then there's hope. There's power for change. Please don't stop at insight. Don't stop at conviction. Take action. Pray, confess, repent. Ask for help from a growth group leader, an elder, a brother and sister in Christ. Don't, don't just sit in conviction. Take action. Husbands, we, we are to bring a, a cleansing light to the darkness of our wives' shame and weakness. So do you regularly remind your wife of what's actually true about her? When she's, when she's soaking, I'm failing as a mom, I'm failing as a wife. Honey, you, you are defined by Christ. Yeah, I probably wouldn't get in Heather's face quite like that. <laughs> but but I, I want her to know and, and believe that she's not defined by failures as a mom, failures as a wife. She is defined by the success of Christ on her behalf. I want her to know it. I want her to believe it. The presence of the word, that can be intimidating for some men. It doesn't have to be formal, guys. It could be as simple as, as a conversation. If your wife is currently studying the Bible, if she's if she's meeting with, with other ladies, if she's discipling or being discipled, if she's coming to one of the many studies that are offered here, just have the conversation. How's the study going? That's it. It can be so conversational and normal. How's your walk with the Lord been lately? Your own reading. I know you've been reading through, so, so tell me, what's been encouraging you? What's been convicting you? Just have the conversation. What if she's not in the Word? Husbands, we need to lead. We take the lead and we open our Bibles with our wife. She may never say it, but I'm telling you, brother, she's desperate for your leadership in this place. Not to lord it over, but to come up under her and support her with the truths of the word. Wives, if your husband has never tried to lead like that, please encourage him. If he awkwardly asks you how he can pray for you, he's kind of stumbling around and maybe he doesn't even want to pray for you out loud at first. Just if he asks you how he can pray for you, tell him. 
Just tell him, I'd love for you to pray me in this way. I think so many men retreat to comfort zones rather than, than risk looking foolish or exposing that, that maybe they don't know something. I mean, righty-tighty, lefty-loosey is a lot less risky than how, how's your soul? How, how's your heart? How can I pray for you? There's risk involved, but we're grounded and rooted in a love that does not change. So take the risk. Wives, I, I would ask you to take the possibility off the table that you might shame your, your husband here. E- encourage him instead. If, if he tries to lead by suggesting reading the Bible, if he tries to love you by praying with you, please encourage him. If he tries and fails, please don't throw this, this sermon in his face. Well, that's, you know, Art said that you should be doing X, Y, and Z. Okay, I can't remember who said it, but the sermon that goes in your ear and out your elbow. So you've been busy like poking your husband. Just encourage him rather than than poke, okay? (laughs) Encourage your husbands. So, what has Jesus done in the past for the church? Loved her, sanctified her, gave himself up for her. What about the future? What's, What's it all moving towards? Let's see in verse 27. He's washed her, he's cleansed her, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish, or holy and blameless. Splendid, holy, no spots, wrinkles, or blemishes. We're not there yet as a church. Some days I wonder... Why doesn't Jesus get fed up with our failures as his people? Why doesn't he get sick of our stubbornness? I'm sick of my own stubbornness, so I can't imagine. Why doesn't Jesus get sick of it? Why doesn't he grow tired of his bride's continual cheating on him with the world? Brothers and sisters, I'll tell you why. Because he knows who we will one day be. And on that day, Jesus will present us to himself in radiant splendor. According to Revelation 19, on that day, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the bride, she's going to be decked out in pure, bright linen. On that day, we will finally be perfect, holy, blameless, beautiful, without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. He's the one who's doing it. So he sees. He sees who we will become. But husbands, how many of us look at our wife and and primarily what we see are the faults, the blemishes, the spots, the wrinkles, the weaknesses, the sins, the mistakes? And brothers, we we have a way of of fixating on our our wives' problems and, and weaknesses and and somehow we think if, if we just continue to point them out, that that'll fix it. You, you know what that is, don't you? And just keep pointing it out. It's one approach. Maybe you've learned to not point out the flaws. Maybe it's, it's, that's not gone so well. And instead, you, you withdraw a bit. You just settle. Just lower those expectations. And at this point, you're just trying to get along. Husbands, if we are to love our wives like Jesus loves us, 
please remember, what, what do our sins and weaknesses provoke in Jesus? What do our sins and faults elicit from him? He clearly sees them, and he's drawn to us in our weakness. Far from repelling him, when we are weak and sinful, he's drawn even closer to us. He's gentle and compassionate towards us in our sin. He's drawn to us. He tenderly washes us like a, like a parent would a baby, your own child. He's continually, remember those, those days before potty training, right? It's, it's gross. But what do you do? You move towards that child in, in tenderness. You, you don't despise him. You, you despise the field. You want it removed and you wash, you bathe tenderly because you love him. Jesus does not condemn us and he does not leave us wallowing in our filth. Brothers and sisters, he took the condemnation on himself. He took the filth on himself. He takes action. He moves towards us. He washes us. He cleanses us because he loves us. So here it is. Do you, do you want to know the key to a great marriage? That's where you're like, yes, I'm going to make eye contact with pastor, preacher, man. I'm going to say, yes, I want to know the key to a great marriage. What if instead of seeing all that our wives are not, what if we saw them as they will one day be? The Holy Spirit can give you those eyes. Instead of apathy, what if your wife's faults brought out your empathy? If you are both believers, then you both have the Holy Spirit, which means you both can participate, actively participate in who you will one day be. Husbands, you have the ability to both cover her weaknesses and to point out to her, here's how you're growing. I see you growing. I see you maturing. I see you growing closer to Jesus. You can build your wife up in love because you know that one day, you both will be presented to the perfect groom in radiant splendor. We heard it last week. Upholding the call and glory of God in others, this is it. Church, pray that we would, would have this vision for our marriages. Choose to see who you will both one day be. That will transform your marriage. I've watched it in my own. To go from a baby Christian and, and wanting to see Heather, interested in, in doctrine, in theology, in the Word. And it just, it, it wasn't an interest for her. I think she was tired from the previous eight years of, of praying me into the kingdom, okay? But she, there was not an, an interest there. To see where she was, to where she is now as a fierce evangelist and a discipler of other women, that's attractive to me, okay? To see who she's going to continue to be. We can see our spouses and help them get there versus pointing out all the things that they are not. So here's a couple diagnostic questions that I would, I would ask both husbands and wives to think about. Please, both of you can consider these questions. Is my spouse more like Christ because she or he is married to me? And that works in opposition to something subtle. Because if I'm honest, there's a lot of times I want my spouse to be more like me. I want her to go along with my preferences, my opinions. 
But the question here, is my spouse more like Christ because she's married to me? If I'm trying to make her more like me, that's idolatry. When my spouse acts out of broken or sinful places in her or his life, how do I respond? We're more than just our sin. There are broken places too. Knowing that, bearing with our spouses, does my response shame them or does does it point them to Jesus? So here we have past. Jesus has sanctified the church. He saved her. Future for his glory, presenting her to himself in splendor. What about the present? He keeps on loving us in specific ways. Look at 528 through 30. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. The world said love is easy. Scripture says it takes effort. So what's Paul getting at here then with, with this piece on loving our wives as, as ourselves? Well, you could, you could look at it and see this is a continuation of the golden rule. Husbands, love your wives like you want to be loved. Treat your wives like you want to be treated. That's just straight-up biblical wisdom. To, to love our wives like we love our own bodies, there's blessing in that obedience. Simply put, it's going to go better in your marriage if you love your wife as much as you love yourself. Blessing in the obedience. In verse 29, Paul ties it directly to our own body. So most of us are fairly attuned to our own bodies. I know when I've not had enough sleep. I know when I've not had exercise. I know when I'm dehydrated. I know when I need more fiber. I know, it's a little too much information, but I know, I know that I've got plantar fasciitis and I'm kind of like, man, I, I'm very attuned to what's going on in my own body. I know what's happening there. Generally, when things aren't working right in our bodies, we want to fix them. If you've ever participated in, in competitive sports, you, you've You've done nutrition, you've done strength training, you've done conditioning. These specific actions help you grow. So two terms in verse 29 help us get at this, fixing pain and promoting growth, and it's, it's nourish and cherish. Nourish means to bring to maturity and cherish is nurture with tender care. Husbands, if you're going to love your wife like you love your own body, you need to know your wife like you know yourself. To know your wife, to be curious about her, actually, it it, it takes effort. It takes effort. Brothers, do you know where your wife feels most vulnerable? Do you know where she's most afraid? Do you know what makes her laugh? Do you know what makes her cry? Do you know what makes her feel loved? Now you go, Art, you're being sentimental here. Okay, you're you're being a little mushy here. I'm not. You could answer each one of those questions about yourself. I can. I know exactly how I want to be loved. Exactly how any number of those, I know how I would answer them. But can I answer them for my wife? Let me give you a small example. 
I share with you a positive example with the background of what it was like before. I'm off on Fridays. Heather works. I know that it encourages her and it makes her feel loved when the house is straight. She doesn't ask me to do it, but I find joy in it. Just doing the dishes, doing some laundry. I've learned not to do her laundry. I just the whole like gentle cycle is kind of befuddling to me, but I mean, just do, I can do some towels and washcloths, okay? But doing some laundry, doing the dishes, straightening the house, actually making the bed, I can see like kind of stress even just come off of her when she comes home. Like, wow, it means something to her. It brings her joy. It brings me joy. She feels appreciated and loved. I'm not talking specifically about love languages here, but I am asking you to think about and act in ways that your wife will feel known and loved. If you're feeling the weight of that, here's your hope. Think about how Jesus knows and loves you, church. How does he know you and love you? How he cherishes and nourishes you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He identifies with you, is so patient with you. He knows exactly how to grow you, mature you, and care for you. He knows where we need to be prodded, and he knows where we need tenderness. Think of all the ways through Ephesians that Jesus nourishes the church. He gives us the word and the spirit. He builds us up into a dwelling place for God. He gives us gifts. He gives us teachers who equip us. Ultimately, Jesus loves us, church, by giving us himself. He gives us himself. He describes us as members of his own body. Husbands, do you share yourself with your wife? Nourish and cherish it, verse 29. Verse 30, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. We need to go all the way back to early in Ephesians where we talked about union. This is where the hope and the power for our marriages comes from. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's not law. That's not a burden. It's not an impossible example to live up to. As Jesus loved the church, it's not just Merely that question of what would Jesus do? No, men, go do that. Go be like Jesus. No. Rather, because of what Jesus has done for you in uniting you to himself, giving himself to you, sanctifying you, cherishing and nourishing you because of those actions, there is real hope and real power for you to love your wife like he loves you. It's not just the example. It's a power. And here's the good news. You can't do this in your own power. Many of you as husbands have figured that out. You cannot do this in your own power. And that's good news. Because part of becoming more like Christ is stopping the reliance on self and increasing the reliance on the God who raises the dead. Our union with Christ not only empowers our union with our wives, it brings purpose and meaning to our marriages that, if we're honest, explodes outside of our homes and testifies to the world and to the spiritual realms of the very gospel itself. Your marriage is a testimony to the world 
and to the heavenly realms. In some ways, our marriage is not about us at all. It's about the very gospel itself. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church for God's glory and their good. Because Christ first loved you, you can love your wife. Love that's no longer an impossible expectation, but a hope-filled promise. Let's pray. Father, I ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would help us see your love and your son's love for the church. Father, would you help us see the, the cost of redemption, the price that was paid? Would you help us see that the value that Jesus Christ in himself, in his body, tore down the dividing wall? He himself is our peace, not just with the, the Father, but with each other. Holy Spirit, you are relentless in, in showing us our sin and our need for you. Thank you for the hope that we find in your word. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for the calibration of what biblical love looks like. Father, we ask that you would go ahead and command whatever it is that you will and that you would give us the power from the Holy Spirit because of the work of Jesus to obey what you command. Father, help us, please. We thank you so much for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.